Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. I imagine that by now many of you already realize that in conjunction with White Crow Books, we've just launched the new Thinking Aloud Dialogues book imprint and our first title is, Is There Life After Death? Thinking Aloud Conversations on the Leading Edge of Knowledge and Discovery with Psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today, our topic is Psychic Experiences in Childhood. My guest is Nancy Trevolato, who is the co-founder with Wagner Allegretti of the International Academy of Consciousness. They're based in Portugal. They have a large and beautiful campus where they train people in the development of consciousness, including out-of-body experiences and other paranormal skills. Nancy is author of Vibrational State and Energy Resonance, a very important part of her work. She is also the author of Astral Projection, a Primer. Introduction to Out-of-Body Experience. Welcome, Nancy. Thank you, Jeff, and thank you for giving me a platform to discuss about such special topic for me. Psychic experiences in children is crucial because we're all children at one time. And I know here in America, we live in a culture where often young children uh, develop psychic experiences is very normal, as a matter of fact, but their parents are sometimes very disapproving. And children can be punished. They can be told that they're misbehaving. They can be told that they must not exhibit these abilities and any further. And and you, many are diagnosed with psychiatric yes. problems, so it's terrible. Yeah. And, and you yourself began to awaken psychically, having out-of-body experiences in, in your own childhood. Yes, I did. And I had some little phenomena besides the out-of-body experience, like sometimes hearing a voice or seeing something or sensing my chakras. I never paid too much attention to that. Always paid attention to the out-of-body experience a bit more than those things. Out of body experience, always nice. But there was a time, Jeff, that I had a period that I was terrified because of some of the experiences I had. And the idea in my mind with this work I'm doing is if I have been studying for 30 years, researching how paranormal phenomena happen and how we can handle all of that, it's my obligation to clarify about this so children do not have to go through what I went through. However, still, there is loads of misunderstanding about the topic. Now, when I was around maybe 12 years old, something like this, my parents moved from one city to another. That was okay. Um, we lived in different places until we found the, the house where we were going to stay in. And the places, of course, as a child, you don't like them. They are different. You do not have your friends. But none of that was a problem. There was one house, however, that the neighborhood was very strange. Energetically speaking, now that I have had enough out-of-body experiences and studied the topic enough, and I can understand what was in there, 
Energetically speaking, there were many strange, not nice things there. In that house, I have had some nights of pure terror. This is the house you were living in? Yes, and we stayed there for maybe like a good two years, maybe. Mm -hmm. And in that house, what I started having is that I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would sense somebody close to me. Of course, there is nobody there. I was not alone in a room. I would sleep with other three sisters in the same room. And it was a small room. So it was not lack of company. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no. And I was completely awake. But I would sense so much those presences and I would be so afraid and they would torture me, literally, in a sense that it was like bullying. And now that I have studied so much about spiritual presences and this entity and how they interact with children and why, and with adults, as a matter of fact, I understand they were just having fun. For them was like, oh, I can play with this child and I can take loads of energy and she's afraid and the more afraid she is, the more we laugh at her, you know, here. It was, I was fortunate. Some people, they go through bad things. I mean, they can really torment. They can really torment. I know some children that they go through experience even of feeling touched, mm -hmm. some sexual image in their mind even, or, you know, people like they are being persecuted. Mm -hmm. And of course, we have to acknowledge some of that, maybe just a psychological fear. But I have studied enough to know that is not a fact for all cases. And in my case, because I have had so many experiences and because of, because of my research for the following maybe 30 years, mm -hmm. <laughs> then I know what that was. And they were having fun. But mm -hmm. for me, it was pure terror. Yeah. It got to a point I was, I have, I have always been very shy, very introvert. And that got much worse then. I could not verbalize because in my family, nobody studied any of that. Um, I was raised Catholic, but not really going much to the church or anything like this. But I was raised Catholic. We would pray before we go to bed, all of that sort of thing. And I would come to my mother and say, I'm afraid. But why? What, what is it that you experience? I couldn't tell. I, I could not verbalize the horror that I would feel or the clearness that I had of those presences in my mind and how well I could hear them if nobody was there. Even myself, I would say, am I crazy? And uh, so that confused. I, I assume your sisters were not having. They were not having this, the, the three of them that were in the same room. Yeah. Later, I came to talk to my younger sister, who is Ana Laura Trivelato, and she's the president of the IAC nowadays, and she has done several research. But like three, four years ago, I was talking to her, she said, I had the same things. But at that time, we never spoke about that. Mm. It was even awkward to talk about that. So I got to a point that I did not want to go to school. I went. I had to. I was a well-behaved child. But I did not want to go to school, and that traumatized me a lot. Because all of the experiences that I have had before, they were productive. I never had any trauma from them. 
but those were traumatizing. And from that point on, it became harder for me, for example, to be alone in a room or to sleep with the lights off and all of this sort of thing. And my big question, and maybe something that we can address later on, was why is it that once the lights go off, that's when you start sensing them? Is this just a fear that comes out of nowhere, fear of the unknown or because it's dark? And through my studies and my own experience, I don't think so. I think there is something very objective there. But the point is, um, I went to research about this because I wanted to see what existed. And this was much later in my 40s, maybe. And I noticed there was no study, not in the way I wanted them to be, I would say. That is more objective, bringing data. If you are a parent and you have a child that wake up screaming in the middle of the night, for apparently no reason. And they tell you, there is someone in that corner, let's say, or they, or they cannot not even say anything. As I interviewed one child that was two and a half years old, so I wanted to observe the child, but the mother was talking to me. The mother was a medical doctor, Jeff, and the mother was scared. The child was not scared. The child had been spooked mm. during the night because two and a half years old, wakes up, sees somebody standing at the corner and started screaming. Mm. And then parents come, what's going on? Oh, there is a woman there. And okay, let me distract my child. So, okay, let's go watch TV, have something, some candies, bring back home. And the child go back. Oh, the woman is there looking like this and this and this. And they go and play again. So that is not what a two and a half year old child would normally do much less describing the details. Now the mother, she's Brazilian, she, and then as you said, most people know something. And even though she didn't study any of this, she thought, what if there was really something there? What if my child was seeing and she did not know what to do, how to help? Mm. And so she prayed, she, you know, tried to distract the child. My point is, okay, let's, hope that stopped there. But what happens when people go through situations like I went through and it lasted a good year and a half? It was only a year and a half, but it was really bad. So I, when I started my study, I wanted to understand more. I want I want to write a book. This is present yes. tense. <laughs> yes. And I have compiled lots of data. Mm -hmm. I already have examined and got some findings. I didn't have time yet to complete the writing of the book. But my idea was, if I'm going to write something to help, now that I know how to sense energy and what to do to clear the room a bit, or what do you do if you have a child asking you something should you say it exists, it doesn't exist, what, what, you know? So my idea was, let me hear from others. If they have had any experiences such as this, how it was for them, because I should not, it was my idea and I still think like that, write something about my experience only. 
Because if for me there were periods that were good and periods that were bad, how others would react. And that's when I started interviewing people to learn about their experiences. Mm -hmm. That's how everything You interviewed adults or children? I interviewed both. Mm -hmm. um, the youngest was this, two and a half, and the oldest was a 57-year-old adult. Mm -hmm. um, but my agreement with them is, you tell me only things that you experienced up to completing 14 years of age. And don't tell me anything as you see the phenomena now, or as you understand the phenomenon or the experience now. I want you to report what happened then. And of course, I had to take the information out of people. But how do you do that? So they were in-depth interviews mm -hmm. from which I wanted to retrieve both qualitative and quantitative data. Mm -hmm. And I got very interesting data. But I never wanted to say, were you scared? Did you have any phenomena? Because I could be interfering with how they describe it. You don't want to ask leading questions. No leading questions. So it was pretty much like, oh, let's, let us talk. You know, I'm studying about this. So they knew what I was studying about. I think it's very important to say that only half of them I have met through my work in this area. The other half were people that others suggested. I, they, they didn't even know much about what I studied. Because you're well known as a teacher of out-of-body experience. Well, I don't know if well known, but <laughs> some people knew me. Yeah. Yes. And so I, I wanted to talk to people that have never studied even that. Yeah. And I managed to find very interesting yeah. people. Now, we should also refer to your own experiences in childhood. I know we did it earlier, yes. but you, you were telling me you were terrified as a child for a period of time. Yes, terrified. And um, the way I would react and feel for me was like um, a reference. So how many people, how many children or those adults in their childhood would have experienced the same type of thing I did? or maybe more severe or less. So in my questions, I would ask to them, oh, what, what did you do? And I would let them say, so some will tell me, oh, I'll turn the lights on. Others, well, I, I would sing if I sense something. Others, and I had some that told me so beautiful things that they would experience like a being of light and they knew they were being taken care of. Those were lucky. <laughs> because they were in places probably or with people around their family members uh, maybe more stable spiritually speaking mm -hmm. we all have different type of energy around and different non-physical companions but for them they have few of them have had positive experience but the majority they were afraid not necessarily because the experience was negative but they don't understand, and that can become negative. Well, I, I know Brazil is a very open culture in, in which you grew up. The, spiritualism is rampant, many different varieties of it throughout Brazil. It, I suspect it may be more powerful an influence than the Catholic Church, and Brazil is nominally a Catholic country. Uh, nevertheless, uh, when a young child shows those kinds of um, potentials to, to have psychic 
gifts. Uh, very often parents have no clue what to do. And, and the, other than the spiritualist churches, there's not a lot of social support for it. No, not allowed. And uh, Brazil is strange because I have so many people that come and talk to me. And for example, they are super religious. Let's say one specific religion. But they leave the body. They do things outside. So they can mix everything. And I guess parents or society in general would expect from a child who is more psychic that they would have intuition and say something of the future or say they are seeing a spirit there or bring a message. But none expect that the child will sense that in different ways. And that can be impactful because some children are so sensitive that if you take them to a party, they may feel strange amongst other people, not knowing how to behave. Or if a teacher says something or reprehend, repre reprehend in a way, they will not know what to do. So this is a sensitivity. But imagine all of that for a child who is sensing their energy body, the energy around, and the spirit world out there. And it's a lot to cope with, and parents don't expect that would be puzzling and confusing. And some children end up developing, you know, sometimes too much of an introvert character, but sometimes a bad behavior. It's a way of, you know, screaming out there is something going on. Mm. Having said that, I want to make it very clear that I do not think these explain all of the cases. Of course, there can be cases in which there are unbalance of a chemical condition in their bodies and hormones. And of course, there are cases in which there could be, you know, some psychiatric trace there. I'm not discarding any of that. There are cases in which the child is just trying to call attention because of a psychological situation. I am acknowledging all of this. But what I'm trying to say here is that in my experience, a large number of the cases, and I cannot guess statistically what percentage, but a large number, and I would dare to say half of it, includes, involves some sort of psychic awareness, which aggravates all of that. Mm -hmm. So how can we help children in this condition? You might not be aware of a study that was uh, done at the University of Surrey in England by a, a researcher named Ernesto Spinelli. It was his doctoral dissertation in which he looked at uh, ESP abilities in children and he found that they were most pronounced amongst four-year-olds and then gradually up to the age of 11, their abilities de declined until they had about as much ability as the average adult, which is not a lot. Uh, yes, I am aware of his study. Mm -hmm. And amongst everything that I've read, I think he's the one that got closest to really researching what we are talking about. Yes. And in my study, uh, the majority of the cases, children would become more conscious of this multidimensional world around five, mm -hmm. some a little earlier, some a little later, and even some past life recollection, which is so much more common among children. And we need a, no a lot of study to say if one case is or is not 
a past life recollection, but there were so many interesting data there. The idea was that if we can bring out some characteristics, which I tried to create a scale for this, well, if your child, so one of the things that I would ask for those that I was interviewing, did you experience this sort of feeling and this sort of perception in all of the places that you were or only at your home? And in some cases, the answer was like a miss. No, I would only experience that when I was in my grandmother's house or one of them, only when I was in our vacation house because something was there. And then later on, the child finds out. These people that I have interviewed, I cared to ask what were their profession? What were they doing now at their, at their point in lives when I was interviewing them or, or then at that point? And uh, most of them, very successful business people, many musicians, actually artists, many people who are working like in governmental areas, so it's not like people grew up to be, you know, crooked in any way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely normal people, but who at their early age had these traumatic experiences. There were cases, and that may sound far-fetched to some who hear it, but those who experienced it, they will recognize what I'm talking about because there are cases even of some poltergeists. Mm -hmm noises in the room and the child knows there's something there and what to do and should I tell anybody and in many cases the child would or will go to their parents bedroom so in which situation the child is going to their parents bedroom and it's just because it wants attention or is sensing something and is feeling uncomfortable and I think it's up to their parents to understand that. Because I was saying, many cases that have been like in a meta-study have been determined that the misdiagnosis mm. of children with schizophrenia, it's a outrageous percentage. Um, from the top of my mind, I do not remember exactly the numbers, but it was like 65, 70%. How can you accept 70% of misdiagnosis of schizophrenia among children? A misdiagnosis in which direction? In which direction, like assuming children are schizophrenic, mm -hmm. when there's no ev there was no evidence of that. Uh -huh. But if you come, you say, I'm hearing voices. Yeah. Somebody's touching my, my feet. Uh, well, you are hallucinating. I have night terrors, I have nightmares, and these nightmares, they repeat, they're always the same. Some children have this. Mm -hmm. And then you say, oh, but it's a trauma. From where? From what? So I acknowledge there are many cases that can be this, mm -hmm. but we need to create some sort of a guidance in the same way that we have the... Um, help me here, Jeffrey, with the name DSM. The DSM-5, I think they're up yes, to now. Yes, they are now DSM-5. That you can read some of the 
symptoms mm-hmm. and say, well, this is probably under the category of a paranoia. Di- diagnostic and statistical manual. Yes. It's it's the Bible for the psychotherapy Bible. and psychiatry. So why can't we expand that? And I know I'm wishing for too much in my lifetime, mm-hmm. but I'm hoping to build or to bring some knowledge that will inspire some of that. Or why can't we do something parallel in which you can cross-check some of these things? Well, the child says, only experience that at this hour. So most probably it's just a creation of their minds. Or no, this here, there is a pattern that match how these paranormal phenomena happen when we can understand them and see from a non-physical point of view. Because when you have out-of-body experiences and when you are researching them like I have done for so long, you kind of see, oh, this person senses this because of this specific entity close by or because of that blockage in that chakra. We cannot uh, assume that for every case, but we can collect the data and bring this. So, so many times, you know, when I am talking to somebody and I say, tell me how your child behaves. And I try to help parents to figure out maybe this is just something you take to the psychologist and it's always safe to take to a psychologist. I'm not sure if it's always safe to take a child to a psychiatrist because some are very conscious of what we are discussing and they can help, mm-hmm. but some only know medicine. They only know if you sense anything that is not physical. No, you mentioned chakras and if you talk to a conventional psychotherapist or psychiatrist, a social worker about chakras, uh, they won't know what you're talking about. You know, I had a so strange experience. I'm going to tell you that. It was in a conference. I think it was the virtual medicine conference. And it was so interesting study. And there was a lady that she was helping children through virtual reality. And I was so interested. And I started asking her, you know, what was her experience? What sort of things she managed to achieve? I was trying to learn about her study until she asked me what I studied. And I said, well, I tried to research in which conditions some of these children may be really sensing something that is no physical, spiritual. And it's not only a psychiatric problem. She was a psychiatrist. Jeffrey, you cannot imagine how she treated me. And I say, what? And now you cannot say that because this is against privilege. And I say, you cannot say that without seeing my data. You didn't even hear what I have to say. How can you say I cannot say that? But this is such a prejudice. And I think a lot of the prejudice comes from fear. And I bet some people who watch us, they will say, oh, but then then that, that is that's dangerous, then it's a reality that is a risk to us. And it's not dangerous. It's not fearful. It's not a risk. The risk we have, or the real danger, is ignorance. The manipulation that people do. So many research is done, sometimes for military purposes. And they know what they are talking about, but they hide it. My, the places that I have been to with interviews and throughout these years all over the world, I could in some places come 
and talk about my experience, no matter how far-fetched they could seem to those who are interviewing me, or talk about a religious point of view in which you would have a non-physical spirit helping you. No problem. But the moment I say, let's understand this from a point of view that we can create some tabulation of data, help others to progress, merge these with other studies into medicine, for example, to create more resources to help people or, or children in this case, immediately I cannot say what I have to say. We are kind of censored. My TEDx talk, it was not removed from publication because it didn't call much attention, otherwise it would be. Mm. But there goes, this is not research, this we cannot attest. And my, my TEDx talk is purely about how we can create a science to study this without any mysticism or ideological vision behind it. So how can it be? And I think it's fear. It could be fear, for sure. It could be that you're ahead of your time. Oh, but this has been going on for so long. <laughs> yes, maybe we're too late. Maybe <laughs> we are too late. What's in, a, in an earlier age, 2,000 years ago, you would have been readily understood, except for the science part. But now that science entered into the equation, which I think is productive, I'm glad for it. Worse, it was before, because everything was seen under point of view of um, mystical explanations. Mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily wrong, but we don't progress if we see everything that way. If we want to progress, we want to bring data and study and see cases and compare cases. And as I said, try to understand why one child would react in this way and another in a different way. What is a psychiatric condition or even psychological condition? Mm -hmm. And what is a real perception? Mm -hmm. And when I look back in my case, how much was I feeling alone and how much was real experiences? I am lucky, I guess, because I have had so many experiences before and because I enter into this research area. So not only I could examine my own experience, but thousands and thousands and thousands of people all over the world that I have been to. So it helped me to kind of put into perspective what was going on there. And funny enough, it got better. Maybe the story is going to get stranger, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I will dare to bring. Okay. You see if you keep it later. But what made it get a little better was that a relative, far relative, I think my mother contacted and said there were some strange things going on in the house. There were some poltergeists that would happen. And uh, they would many times revolve around my fear, or I was the one awake to witness them, but but I knew my mother perceived some of it, and maybe she contacted that relative, and he came with somebody from the spiritist religion mm -hmm. to do some sort of cleansing of mm -hmm. entities, um, and they, whatever they did there, it didn't stop completely, but it helped. Mm -hmm. It helped a bit, so I gave me opportunity to breathe in. Now, Jeffrey, I became somebody from that experience, those experiences that I was maybe 25 and I would have to sleep with the lights on. And I would sense that I was 
starting to detach from the body and I would stop it because it created like an automatic reaction for me. Mm-hmm. And I knew it was automatic reaction. I knew the out-of-body experience. But when you are traumatized, it's like PTSD. You, you react even not knowing about it. But to be clear, it wasn't the out-of-body experience no, Never. that traumatized you. No, it was while I was awake, sensing spiritual presence. Tormenting. Tormenting me. You know what I used to say? That when you are inside the body and you have a challenge that is physical, somebody annoying, that's awful and can be... There are so many sad stories in the world. But you kind of know the rules of the game because it's an adult abusing you, for example. This is a rubbish guy who is an adult. You kind of have a framework in your mind to deal with that in most cases. In other words, you, you can understand it's their problem, not yours. Exactly. And understand it's real. Yeah. It's really going on. Mm-hmm. Now, when you are outside the body and you are already out there, you are dealing with a reality that is similar. You are not afraid. It's real. You are acting, you are seeing things as much as here. But when you are in between, in my experience, that's when fear catches you. So if you are here in the physical body and you are sensing something that is not physical, how do you handle that? How do you make sense of that? And especially in that case, with those presences there uh, tormenting me, what could I do? I could not even explain what it was. So in that that is what is more traumatizing, I guess, or at least for me it was. Mm-hmm. So in my research, I started asking what sort of a phenomena would make you feel comfortable or not comfortable. And I wouldn't even put the word phenomena, say what you experience. So in each case, I would be dodging to get information in a more neutral way. I have everything recorded and I, I am a type, a fast typewriter. So most of the things I would be able to type while the other one was talking, which is good. But I see that in some of these conditions, we observe completely different reactions. One case, may I share with you one case? Uh, Some of these stories that I have heard, like mine, when I was analyzing them to create like some findings and digest the data, I cried. I cried because it's not fair. Like I had one girl, and I have all of these in writing, but I had one girl that she would feel somebody so close in touching her that she would go under the bed to try to hide. I mean, what what do you expect from a six-year-old child hiding under the bed? Because if she would go to the parents' house, and her parents were spiritists, Mm They held a spiritist center. How come you don't see the child is observing, sensing spiritual presences? But most people, Jeff, they are not so sensitive. Many people, they are more working with energy when they are into a channeling process. So someone else is helping. What I strive to do in my work is how can we learn, how can we teach someone to understand the situation and be able to do something by their own merits, their own means. But that's not so easy. In the case I was going to share with you at first, twin sisters, 
one both would see everything. They were probably amongst everything, uh, amongst everybody that I spoke with, that is the most psychic person. Nowadays, um, she's a mother of three, but she's still super young. I think she's now probably 38, 39. She and her twin sister, they would see these ghosts in the house. And during the night, they would wake up with the same nightmare. But her sister would be very afraid. So, would, you know, hide. And so what do I do? And try to cover her face, which is more or less what I did. <laughs> How do I run? How do I hide? Yeah. There's nowhere to go. But herself, she had an instinct of protection towards her sister. So when she would see those entities disturbing the sister, she would go there and tell them to go away. So she was a bit more immune from the fear. Mm -hmm. And she started describing some things that made me understand why in the night we would sense more, especially children. Because if I may explain something a bit technical, is that okay? Yes, of course. But you please did. I'll make sure it's direction. clear for the benefit okay. of our viewers. But what happens is, if if somebody's sensitive in a way of maybe sensing a presence or sensing an environment is more pleasant than another, when you are quiet, preparing to go to sleep lights go off, you have less physical stimulus. Of course, we start observing our breathing, we stop thinking about everyday things, and that's what happens also to a child. Well, you have been playing your mind, now you have to go to sleep. Shut up, be quiet, rest. In that moment, because of the silence of the mind, we start observing situations that were present the whole time but were not noticeable. And that's what would be best if we could develop a way for us to sense that in our everyday life. This is a normal life, normal life. That's what's normal. But then if a child or any of us, many, many people who are watching us, maybe they have that. So they are lying down. And then once you are quiet and you sense something, you pay attention. When you pay attention, kind of your energy gets more engaged into that. There is a coupling, there's a connection. If it's an entity, the more you pay attention because you are afraid, the more you create an energy coupling, the more you sense it. But that entity also senses that you sensed because there is an exchange of energy and they get closer. That's what happened to me to a point that I would be afraid to go to bed. And then it was easy for them to connect with me. In other words, they feed on your fear. They feed on your fear. And it's not a psychological thing because they are really there. But if we know how to, if, if at least we understand, they cannot feed so much. Mm -hmm. But when we don't understand, the unknown is terrible. I used to say fear of the invisible, coping with the invisible. That's how I used mm -hmm. to, to describe how do you cope with the invisible. But... When I was 25, and I was still with the lights on, I heard about a technique that was initially mentioned that I learned of by Bob Monroe. Mm -hmm. And that technique is not Bob Monroe's technique. It's very ancient technique. We see that in many different areas, including the, some of the pranayamas exercise and vipassana meditation. And it's simply 
moving one's own energy inside the body. And why I, when I learned that technique, and that was presented by some of the studies of Valdo Vieira at that time, mm. and I learned it, and I started doing it, and it helped me a lot. It helped me to a point that in two weeks, I could be any place with the lights off, knowing what I was sensing, what was my fear because of trauma, what was coming from outside, what to do, I became a completely different person. And because of it, I started studying that technique because some people would practice it and don't have as much result. Mm -hmm. So biggest question in my mind is, how do you practice it in ways that makes it very effective? And that is the technique that I call now VELO, mm. which I have studied for 15 years. Why, Nancy? The techniques only put the energy up and down. Yes, but some people do it and they don't get results. VELO means voluntary... Energetic longitudinal oscillation. Longitudinal oscillation. So it's about visualizing the energy, the mental energy, subtle energy, oscillating up and down your body, including your spiritual body. Yes, because when you visualize it internally, your spiritual body or astral body and your energy body, we are all aligned when we are here in the waking state. So when you move the energy inside, actually the physical body is not participating, but the physical body for us is a reference of where that energy body is, and we are actually dealing with the energy body. The technique is very simple, but you need to learn how to focus properly, because otherwise you would pay attention only to the physical body, and that doesn't work. You have to be able to focus on the energy body. And there goes a long study. But my point is, the reason why I wanted so much to research about this technique was this. It changed my life. And we will be doing a whole separate interview going into more detail on, on the vibrational state and energy resonance and this very powerful body of work that uh, you teach. Yes, and, uh, and that's part of what I try to teach people so that they can distinguish what is it that they are sensing, that it's sensation in a chakra or it's physical. Anybody who feels anything that is strange should first of all go to a medical doctor, of course. But Jeffrey, I have spoken with so many people that they would go to a medical doctor many times, saying, for example, I feel something in my throat. There's something here. Or others like, there is such heaviness in my chest, but all exams are done. And there's nothing, physically speaking. And most people would think it's very difficult to sense energy, and it's not difficult. All the signs are there, but we are not taught to recognize. Of course, for some people, when they get to this point, like, oh, I cannot even breathe, but there's nothing wrong with me, physically wise, then they may start considering, oh, maybe it's an energetic thing. But we do not need to get to that point to start understanding energy. People are conditioned to believe that if it's not physical, then it's not real. Yes, exactly. And what you're saying is that the, there is a whole realm 
a, a huge realm, maybe almost infinite uh, realm of things that are very real and are not physical. Very real, very tangible. You can even sense in ways that it's as tangible as a physical body, but they are not physical. Mm -hmm. And if you do not help a person to understand that, it can become confusing. Some people may, may then develop psychological problems. Mm -hmm. And I know of people who are so open to energies and they find it difficult to cope with that reality. I do not know where that started. I mean, if it was as a child or later on in their lives. But you can help. You can help because sometimes it's both things. It's a bit of a psychological sensitivity, maybe even some predisposition to some psychiatric problem, but that does not exclude that there also could be some sort of energetic sensitivity. And if we can bring all the tools together without jumping into conclusion, without, you know, creating explanations or promising miracle healings, which is not possible, but I think we could grow a lot. And when it comes to children, but I think there is a lot of speculation. I have tried to look for studies on that area. Most of what I found, like for example, some psychiatrists saying, oh, if your baby has um, night terrors, just let it be. And if they cry for one hour desperately, let them cry out because they won't remember later on. And eventually they will outgrow this. So you let your child suffer for six, seven years, because eventually one day they will not know what was going on at the time. Is, is that some sort of therapy, Jeff? I think it's a shame. <laughs> but I understand the medical doctor does not know what to do. But if your child has night terrors, by all means, wake the child up. And if you can understand, try to sense what's going on, because there may be something that's I will dare to say here, even something from a previous life. Yeah. Why not? There are many studies that evidence some of these cases are real. There could be some, you know, spiritual presence. There can be some energy in the place that the child is sensing. Can you, as a parent, do something? Of course you can, if you know about this reality. And in some cases, we can even help children to understand their own energy. People ask me, can you teach this technique of VELO to, or VILO, as most people say here in the United States, teach it to a child? Absolutely. But you are not going to come and say, now you are going to do the voluntary energetic longitudinal oscillation. And you concentrate on your energy. But you're not going to say that. No child will relate to that. You have to use their own way of expressing things. One nephew of mine was so, so sensitive. I never seen a child as sensitive as him. And he would describe things to me and I would see his aura changing. And I would try and show him how he could sense energy, like just emitting a bit of energy to him and his aura would change and he would be scared. As I was terrified because you connect sensing energy all that reminds me of those entities. But those are different things. I had to teach him how to do the technique. That was tough because I had to use 
some metaphors and create analogies that were ideal to his experience. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, when you see somebody sweeping the court where you play basketball, he likes basketball. So what do they do? They go little by little, right? Removing the dirt. So let's say in your mind, you would create some sort of flow or light that would remove the dirt. And you go and you come, and it becomes shinier. And there are some dirts that are there for a long time, but you keep doing it. Let's do it. Or let's play with it. Or let's think of a ping pong ball that goes slowly. You create analogies because children learn very fast. Because children are so much more sensitive. I think... Um, Around 80% of those that I spoke with in my research about children's psychic experience, they would describe that they have now almost infinitesimal portion of what they used to have then. Mm. And that is my case. I, I had so much more predisposition to all of this when I was a child. I think I am fortunate that by researching it, I kind of uh, developed some methods for myself on distinguishing what's going on that is energetic, what's just, I am tired, I'm brain tired, or I have not been sleeping well, or I am overworked. Well, you need to distinguish all of this. Or maybe I need some vitamins, right? <laughs> all of this is possible. How do you distinguish? And I think in the case of children, it's our responsibility to dig further. Most of those that I saw that would recognize these um, abilities or higher abilities among children, they would start picking names to put those children they studied into a special category. Oh, those are, I'm not going even to say names, so I'm not going to poke anything, but oh, these are special children that they came from that galaxy, or they are from a different type of lineage of angels. They are normal. All of this is normal. All of us should sense energy. We don't because we are repressed. We are even repressed because of Hollywood movies. I'm putting Hollywood <laughs> there are movies from so many different <laughs> Yes, even here in Albuquerque. Yeah, here in Albuquerque. But just putting like a label mm -hmm. because movies, they are made many to terrify. Yes. Horror movies, and if you make a movie that is about a spiritual reality that is positive, I mean, real stuff, positive, people don't like it. You have to put some element of fear so people go watch it. And then they start thinking all of those situations will resemble this. People are afraid of the paranormal very because, often because of media. Because of media. Yeah. And I think we are encouraged to put that aside because religion would say you can only reach heavens or whatever through that specific God and each religion would describe in their own mm. way. And I have nothing against this. I think this helps so many people. But if we look at this from a different perspective, just as if we were doing a study on religious matter, all religion, they acknowledge there exists something beyond death. Um, if I pick my religion, Catholic, or the one I was raised with, 
you have hell, you have heaven. Okay, so somebody's acknowledging life exists beyond death, mm. right? Mm. And then you can have an angel or you can have a demon that comes terrify you also. They are acknowledging also that whoever is there can influence you. Religion mm. is acknowledging it. Yes. Otherwise, they wouldn't speak about demon. What is a demon? What is whatever term? Devil. <laughs> and... But when you say you can understand those entities, and maybe they are not evil, they are just confused. And maybe you are just not knowing how to handle them. If you bring that approach, men feel afraid because you have been told that that is a sin. And I know what I'm saying is shocking for many people, but I, what I'm trying to say behind it is we are not going against any religion. We are just trying to enhance what religion already teaches us and learn from all of them without following anyone specific, being universalistic, combining that because there are so many good things. You're talking about the perennial philosophy now. You might. I would say you're, you're getting at the essential truths that underlie pretty much all religion. It's true. It's called the perennial philosophy, uh, among other terms, the primordial tradition. The the something that uh, I know you said you don't think science and mysticism should go together, but mystical traditions seem to recognize this common element that yes. you can find everywhere. Well, I think they should go together. I think right now they kind of compete sometimes, but it should be mm -hmm. integrated. I think science should study all of this spiritual reality, mm -hmm. but how to separate them. Then the thing is, if we, and that's why I said, maybe I'm not ahead of my time, maybe the whole <laughs> new time is late. Because since in the primordial times, yes. we were performing rituals, yeah. and there were those shamans that would go outside their body. Yeah. But they didn't have computers. They didn't have computers. Atomic bombs, automobiles, jet yeah. planes. We, we get so immersed in the, the world of technology that we buy into, mm -hmm. the ideology that in, creates technology, materialism, to the, to the detriment of our own soul. It's true. It's true because it kind of creates another barrier for us to see ourselves. Yeah. And I think science contributes so much, but we have to push science to study all of this yeah. without just rejecting, mm -hmm. but without accepting. But it's like any study, that's exam. The thing is, with the young children, such as yourself, who are having uh, terrors of one type or another, or even just mysterious phenomena, it can, it can provoke you to research these things more deeply, to develop, as it did for you, an, an enormous sensitivity to subtle energy, which is really the birthright of all people, but it takes a little work. It takes a little work and sometimes a lot of work. And some people do not want to go through the burden. Um, and some, you know, they are mocked yes. upon because of their experiences. How much can you say what you study? If I am in a you know regular place, oh, what's your profession? I'm going to say administration. I'm going to say anything. I'm not going to say I'm researcher of paranormal phenomena, unless I feel I should. There were few cases 
that people asked me and I felt go straight. And in those cases, there were a, a reason for that. But other than that, you know, people don't understand. They have prejudice. We live in a strange time, which is that the the guardians of Western culture, the scientific, educational, religious establishments, even to some extent the literary establishment, buy into the the materialistic culture. But if you talk to people, 70% of the population are having paranormal experiences. Exactly. Exactly. They do. And even the out-of-body experience, so much more common than we would expect. Mm. But people do not want to go too deep into that or telling their stories. And I think big point here is children are more sensitive than adults for obvious reasons. They are still developing their bodies, so they do not have so rigid senses. They are still developing a framework of what life is, and they are still learning, so they have not been so brainwashed <laughs> and not so much, you know, repressed in their manifestation. Hopefully, they have not yet tried to create an identity and fulfill a role that is getting worse and worse by the time because of media influence. Young children are pretending to be something they are not. That is very bad. But anyway, better than adults in this sense. And also, there's another factor that is an energetic thing. Because children have been more recently connected to their physical bodies. The energetic body that connects both is more loosened. It's not as rigidly attached. Because of this, children tend to sense energy more and have more experiences. We have to pay attention to this so that we don't let fantasy take place or fear. We should not exaggerate. Those are special coming from another galaxies. No, but they're not abnormal either. What is abnormal is the fact that we do not acknowledge <laughs> Our the, uh, we, we exactly <laughs> we do not acknowledge that the physical body is just a part of who we are. Well, I imagine that there will come a time, maybe in the future, maybe on another planet, where the world that in which you have lived your adult life, the world of energy sensitivity and out-of-body travel, will be the well-understood birthright of everyone. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? Yes. And, and what if we could teach this, even in schools, without ideology? You do not need there exist angels or devil or spirits or entities. No ideology. Just teach kids that we exchange energy. It's not only words. That sometimes you can be hurt or helped in ways that are not verbal. It's not obvious. If we teach only that, that's enough. It's like teaching a child how to read. And they will look for the books they want to read. They will write the ideas that they would like to write. If you teach energy only without ideology, and I think that is very important, we should never, you know, be ideological about, mm -hmm. in my opinion, not even religion, let the child experience. But if we could teach that in ways that this child will develop the experiences that he or she are more prone to and will use this in their lives as it flows in natural ways, 
not weirdos, <laughs> normal people who knows how to understand their senses, which are not only physical. That's my hope. Well, you're doing your part to I'm see trying. that this happens. Nancy Trivellato, it's a joy to be with you, to feel your passion for this work and, and to know that you are making a difference. Things are changing slowly, but they are yeah. changing. So I'm very grateful to have this time with you and to be able to share your insights with the New Thinking Aloud audience. It was an honor for me, Jeff. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nancy. And for those of you watching or listening, thank you, especially you, for being with us. You are the reason that we are here. We've just released issue number two of the New Thinking Aloud quarterly magazine. You can download a free copy at the New Thinking Aloud Foundation website, newthinkingaloud.org.